Good morning at home. It's good to be back. Yeah, two Sundays I had to be quarantined. I don't know if you guys heard my wife, CJ, uh, tested positive for COVID 21 days ago. And for 14 of those days, I was out. Two Sundays, I was out. My wife is fine. She was more of an asymptomatic, just a little cough. Thank you for your prayers and concern. I know you guys, some of you reached out to us and it's all good. There's no place I'd rather be on Sunday than here with you guys. Trust me on that. You know, the hardest thing of my wife and I, uh, her having COVID, has been the quarantine. We, we have to been separated. She sleeps in one room, I sleep on the other, we're wearing our masks. It's been 21 days. That's been the toughest thing. And she's watching at home, miss you. Um, last Saturday, as a matter of fact, we were grilling. And, and so she was on one side of the house or the backyard, I was on the other. And every time Randy Rogers comes on at the Aranda household, any song, you know, we two-step. So I got up, I asked her to get up. She was two-stepping from there, I was two-stepping from here. Not once did I step on our toes. That was my best two-step ever. And it was good, but I'm glad to be back and I missed you guys, so here we are. Hey, let me ask you, have you all ever heard, I'm sure you have, the grass is greener on the other side? Heard that expression? You know, if we're honest, we, we live by that expression or there's been season in our lives where we think, you know what, if only I, if only I had another job, if only I made more money, life would be greener. See, if, again, if we're being honest, a lot of us want that easy life. If we can live our lives with as little suffering as possible, having life be cruise control, we like that. So we're searching. We're never happy. Honestly, we're never satisfied. We want the bigger house. We want the nicer car. We want the latest iPhone. Why? Because we want life to be the good life for you and for me. And sometimes we ask God for that good life. We've prayed honest. Honestly, we've all done this. I'm guilty of it. Father, if you only give me this job and you pray earnestly, Father, because you know how bad my finances are. Father, if you protect me from COVID, Father, please don't let my loved one get ill. Please, Father. And we plead with him. Father, I'm reading your word. I'm, I'm going to church. Look at what I'm doing. I'm living a godly life. You owe me, God, because I don't want to suffer. And then what happens is when God doesn't answer the prayers the way we want our prayers to be answered, we turn back and we get upset with God. God, I asked you to save my marriage. I'm a godly man and we still ended up divorcing Father, I asked you for me or any of my family not to get ill. And look, Father, they're very ill. And we get angry. And maybe we start questioning ourselves. Is this the God I want to follow? Because this God is not giving me the life that I really wanted. As I was preparing for the sermon, I, I did a soul search. And I realized that early in my walk with Christ, I went through that season. I had a business I had the house, everything was the easy life. And then I turned to Christ, and that easy life was taken away from me. I had to sell the house. I lost good, good friends that I still don't speak to them to this day because I turned my life to Christ. And there were moments saying, God, why are you doing this? I'm serving at church. I'm volunteering. I'm, I'm involved more than ever in your word. Why, God? I, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. Any of you ever been there, realized, man, I don't know if this Jesus thing is worth following. 
If you have, like I have, the good news is that there's a lot of people in God's word that have felt the same way, have gone through the same things that you and I have gone. As a matter of fact, in the book we're studying now, the book of Hebrews, the author's main theme is this. Don't give up on Jesus. Jesus is greater than anything. See, the people, the audience back then, were going through persecution. They were literally being killed. These were early Christians who at this time were saying, wait a second, I don't know, because before I trusted Christ, I wasn't being persecuted by the emperor Nero. Before, when I was a pagan, things were a lot better. And now, now things are going downhill. And the author is saying, no. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you think the life is, Jesus is life. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 2. We're going to pick up where we left off. Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to look at four things today that the author is going to flesh out from these verses. One thing we're going to look at is what you and I have to do. One command that you and I must do. The other three things are things that Jesus did for you and for me. Why Jesus is better. Four things we will look at. So chapter 2 begins with verse 1. And the author opens up and says, therefore, now let me stop. I've said this, I think, time and time again. Anytime you see that word, therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? And so anytime you see that word, therefore, in the Bible, you need to go back to see what the author was talking about prior to what you're about to read now. So here, the author says, therefore, because what I told you in chapter 1, because Jesus is the heir of all things, because he made the world, because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his image. He, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. He, Jesus, purified for your sins and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is greater than any angel because even the angels worship him. Jesus is God. That's why he says, therefore, what I just told you about, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So off the bat, the author is giving us a command. And here's my first sermon point to you and what you and I must do. We must listen. Listen. As a matter of fact, those words Hebrew, in, in, in Greek, I'm sorry, much close attention, pay more close attention. It means to hold on. And what the author is saying, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the truths about who he is. Of everything that I just told you, hold on to that. And there's a warning, he says, because if you don't, you will drift away. Before you know and we start believing the lies that, that the life is better outside of Jesus, when you stop holding on to the truth, his promises of the word, you will drift away. For years, my wife and I contemplated and saved up uh, to get a pool, and we finally got one. We love it. One of the things that we do when we're hanging out by the pool is we have these cushions, right, these floaties, 
and we lay by the pool. And no matter where we get on these little cushions, we drift away because we're just, you know, dozing off. And we drift away towards the skimmer where, where water's being sucked into the, to the filter. And we don't want to be there, but we always end up there. Why? Because we're not holding on. And naturally, we drift away, we fall asleep, and we're going towards that direction. In the same manner, the author's telling you and me, the Holy Spirit is declaring and warning, watch out. If you're not holding on before you know it, you'll be drifted away. Maybe too far. I have been a person and I'll continue to be a person who's been open with you guys because you are my church family and I'm passionate about Grace Bible Church. And here's my fear. I think a lot of us, not only here, but this church all around are starting to drift away. Hear me, please. Don't send me hate emails. I think a lot of us are getting too comfortable with the way of doing church now. Hanging out at home. COVID is real. My wife was diagnosed with COVID. I get it. And there's some concern. Please stay home. If you have underlying conditions, if you have elderly, you name it, please stay home. But I think a lot of us are choosing comfort because it's much easier to go and turn on the TV and your jammies and hang out when you could be here. Because if you're passionate, if you're holding on to the truth, if you think that Jesus is better and this church is better, you would be here. You know, my wish was when we first opened up that we have five services because people were RSVPing like crazy. But yet, you RSVP and you don't show up because, huh, today I've got something better. I'm drifting away. I'm passionate about this church because I love you and I love his truth because life is Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Don't drift away. You know, one of the saddest things from being at home, watching on TV, the fact that I wasn't here, that was really sad. But I was watching YouTube for two weeks live. I had never seen it. And people didn't get on till 20 minutes later. I'm thinking you're at home and you're still late? Come on. Where's your passion? What are you holding on to? And then at the end of the service, the pastor hadn't finished praying and people were dropping off like flies because I've got something better than Jesus. We make our time around our time and not his. It's a Sabbath, it's Sunday. Worship from home or here, but worship on Sunday. No, I think I'll watch on Wednesday because I've got something better. Drifting away. People in other parts of the world would die, literally die, to come and commute and be uncomfortable and drive for hours because they have a passion for Christ. And as we're going to see in this book of Hebrews, we are called as this church body to commute. When this season is over, my prayer is that we're full to the gills. And with a new building, we're full as well. Let's not get too comfortable and drift away. I'm not trying to guilt you. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you. Moving on. The author says in verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He says it, he's talking about salvation, was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I want to make a quick observation. Here we have the work of the Trinity 
God the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit working through salvation. It says that the Lord declared it. Jesus declared it. God bore witness by signs and miracles. And the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit do, distributed gifts to all believers at his will. What is the author saying in this section? He's saying this. Listen, the angels declared the message through the prophets, through Moses, this great message of salvation, and you should pay attention. But now, now that the message maker, now that the word became incarnate, now that the logos, God himself, stepped out of him and Jesus Christ, he's saying this message of salvation, you better pay closer attention. You better perk up and drop everything and listen. Because if you don't listen, there will be retribution. There will be penalties for not listening to this great work of salvation. I love what one commentary says. He says this, if the old message delivered by the angels was valid and nobody got away with anything, do you think we can risk neglecting this latest message, this magnificent salvation? And here's the bottom line. If anyone doesn't believe or trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the gospel doesn't accept salvation in this lifetime, they're doomed for eternity. And if us believers, now hear me out, we drift away from his word, from his truth. He's not saying you can lose your salvation. Once we're secure in him, we are secure forever. But what he is saying, if we don't pay close attention to this message, again, if we drift away, we lose our eternal rewards. The rewards we'll get in heaven that we talked about in the last series. There's consequences from drifting away. There's consequences from not accepting Christ. In this part, verse 5, the, the author goes back and starts his original topic that he's talking about in chapter 1. And here's what he says. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It was testified somewhere. Now, the author's not saying, wait, where, where did I read this in the Bible? No, no. He knows. It's testified in Psalm 8 because he goes and quotes Psalm 8. And this is what it says. What is man? Now here, check this out. He's going to start talking about us, humans, God's creation. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Let me summarize. What, what the author is saying, the creation that God made was made for us, was made for man. And before sin entered this world, if you recall in Genesis, God made Adam and woman, Eve, and he placed them in the garden and says, look, this is all yours. It's all under your control. But what happened? We sinned. We disobeyed God. But he says this, for a little while, for a little while, even us, the, crea the create creatures, are less than angels. Now, I read this. Before sin... We were greater than angels. And in eternity, does he mean we're going to be greater than the angels? Now think about this. Every time you hear about an angel appearing in the Bible, you know what the first words out of the angels are? Fear not. Why do you think the angels go fear not when he appears to Mary or Abraham or anybody? Because it's a chubby little guy with a diaper and a bow and arrow? No. I mean, if an angel appeared to me like that, I'd go, ah, get cute, ah, you know. I wouldn't be fear, fear him, but they're majestic. 
And that's why he's saying one day us, God's creation, the way he intended it to be, will be greater than angels. And he's saying now, just now, for a little while, we're beneath that because of sin. He goes on and he says this in verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, still talking about creations, talking about humans, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I know right now it seems horrible, but that's not the way God intended it to be. That's not the way it's going to be forever. See, God's created world was for the world to be subjected to man. And right now, it seems that we are subjected to the world. The world is crumbling down all over, and we're crumbling down with it. What he's saying and what he's imploring to the audience and imploring to us today is don't give up. Hang on to the truth, who Jesus is. This is not the way it's going to be forever, only for a little while. And here's where he introduces Jesus. He goes, it's not going to be like this because of Jesus. And here's my second point to you. And the first thing that we see that Jesus did It's this, Jesus got involved. Because of sin, because the world is falling apart, because everything needs to be be reconciled to him, Jesus had to come down and get involved. And this is what he says. He says this in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while, he's transferring, now he's speaking about Jesus, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Even Jesus, God himself, humbled himself, stepped down out of heaven, lived a perfect life in humility. He needed to get involved because he needed to redeem you and me, something we could never do on our own. And that's why everything will be reconciled to him because Jesus tasted death for you and for me. Because Jesus conquered sin once and for all. For all, excuse me, at the cross. See, you and I deserve the wrath for our sins, God's wrath. But Jesus came and took the punishment for you and for me. Verse 10, he says this. For it was fitting that he, again Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word founder It means representation, representation. And here's my second point that Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus is our founder. Jesus is our founder. What does that mean? It is is that representation. Jesus represented you and me. See, we couldn't do salvation on our own. We can't. We can't merit our salvation. So Jesus took our place again at the cross and represents anybody who puts their trust in him. When you and I or anybody dies and have put their trust in Jesus Christ and God asks you, why should you enter in eternity with me? Jesus would say, I represent him. I took his place. And that's what he's saying. Jesus is our founder. It's the beginning of our salvation. He finally goes on and says this in verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, 
I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has a power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He's saying what Jesus did because he got involved, he stepped in. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. There he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here's my final point to you guys. Jesus empathizes. Jesus empathizes. He knows. That's what he's saying. He knows. And that word propitiation we just read, it means that God sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to cover the wrath from God. He appeased God's wrath. And because he had to become human, because he had to be the ultimate sacrifice, he knows. He knows what everything we go through. He knows what it feels like. Boy, does he know what does it feel like to be abandoned. He knows. Man, one of his good friends, we read, Judas, he rather give up his friend Jesus So he can grab 30 coins of silver. He knows. He knows what it's like for his best friend Peter to abandon him, to deny him three times because Peter didn't want to go through suffering. So when they asked him, hey, don't you know that Messiah? Peter three times says, no, 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 I don't want to suffer. I want the good life. He knows. He knows what it's like to go into Jerusalem riding on the donkey and the people he came to save, praising him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then two days later, the same people choose a thief and a criminal Barabbas to be set free and to crucify their God. He knows. You want to talk about suffering? Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He was beaten almost to death, made fun of. And then he had to carry his cross. And he hung for hours suffocating, suffering. He knows. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He didn't choose the easy life. He didn't. He chose the hard life, the life that we read about for you and for me. And at the garden, he prayed to his father, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, but let your will be done, not mine. So he knew as he hung on the cross, that that moment will come where he cried out in his last breath, my God, always called God his father. In that moment, because he was abandoned by the father, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Just like sometimes we ask God, God, why? Why are you not giving me the life? See, God, through his son, gave up his life to give us life because Jesus is life. Not once do we read that we're going to have this life of luxury and no pain. As a matter of fact, we read that once you turn to Christ, it's the other way. Jesus, at the Last Supper, talked to his apostles and he says this. In this world, in this life that you're about to live, there will be tribulation. 
There will be suffering. There will be comfort. You're going to want to do something else. There will be COVID. There will be you fill in the blanks. You will have trouble. But then he says this, but take heart. You know what that word is? Take heart. Rejoice. Hang on to that. He says, I have overcome the world. I've conquered this. I've given you life. So we're looking for this life. This is what we need to do. You want the life that Christ has given you. We need to listen. Listen. Hold on. Hold on to this truth. Don't drift away. Grab on like there's nothing more important than Jesus because there isn't. Listen. Hold on. And then you need to realize in your heart how he got involved. That this is just temporary. He got involved. He restoring everything to himself. It'll be great. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. You need to realize he got involved. You need to realize that he is our founder. You need to put your trust in him, that he represents you and me, that there's no way anyone can be saved on our works. It's just by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He is our founder. And then lastly, when you're being tempted, when you're suffering, realize he empathizes. When you put all those things together, what does it give you? Life. Life. That's what we want. Not a temporary joyful life, but an eternal life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I love what John 5 says, and I'm going to leave you with this. 5.11, he says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this what? This life is in his son. You want life? There's only one life that you and I could ever want, and that is in Jesus Christ, the true giver of life. What would it look like if you pursued that life? Not a life that's saying, I don't want to suffer, but a life that's saying, I will do anything for Christ. I will give anything for him. I will put him first and hold on to his truth above all else. How would it change you? And not only that, how would it change the people around you? They notice. They notice where your true passion is. They notice where your true love is. You would really get the life that God wants to give you and me. And that is his son. Let's pray. Father, you are an awesome God. You're the giver of all life. And Father, we, we need to repent that we seek life elsewhere. We want a life that is convenient for us, that is comfortable for us. A life that is a life with little or no suffering, Father. But that's not the life you called. You call for us to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what that looks like. So, Father, instill in our hearts the Holy Spirit to realize that nothing in this world, that nothing is better than you. Let us pursue you within our hearts, with all our passion, with all our beings, Father. Father, I know that people are out there suffering, confused. Would you just give them the comfort to know that your son knows that your son is there with them in the fire through all things and that your love will never let us go. We love you. We praise you. We proclaim all these things in your son's name. Amen. Missed you guys. Loved you guys.